Hello and welcome to the Max New Podcast. This is Lindsay Behrens. I'm here with Nicole Saratori. I'm forcing her to say hello. Hello. <laughs> this is our mid-January Theater Festivals episode. We've seen a lot of shows and we have a lot to say about it. Enjoy the show. Alrighty, let's start with intros. Christ. I'm not Christ, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> God Complex for 2016. There yeah. you go. All right, Nicole. Hi, it's Nicole from Mildly Bitter's Musings. Jack. Hello, my name is Jack. I work at the public theater when I'm not on Maximo, and my views are my own. Your views are your own, and you're on a show today where we are going to be talking about shows that take place at the public. Yes. The public is a producing partner of Under the Radar. So I've heard, yes. But, but oh, yes, yeah, so Lindsay's asked me to say, so, uh, yes, so it's conflict of interest for me to talk about Under the Radar. That said, um, Under the Radar is its own magical department within the public that I have no involvement with whatsoever. And actually, it's one of the things I really love about it is that it's the one time a year where I have no idea what's happening at the, at the public. Like, I sit down in a chair and I'm like, oh, I've never even read this, seen this, done anything with this before. So, yes, know that. Yes, this is a disclosure regime for conflicts of interest on yeah. the Maximum Podcast. Yeah. While we're at it, can I just once again say that Enda Walsh did not write Let the Right One In? <laughs> I just want to say that in case any of you idiots out there were stupid Poor enough Jack to Thorne. think. It's like he doesn't exist. Oh, man. I don't know what I was. Look, you guys should know. I w- I'm pretty drunk on these podcasts most of the time. No, I'm I mean, it's not uh, like the John Tiffany factor. I, get, I see how you could have gotten down the Enda Walsh road. There. Yeah, it was like a six. It was like degree of kevin bacon right. thing that my brain did in like two seconds i'm just i'm sorry and it wasn't an outrageous like guess yeah. or no. you know or i believed it yeah yeah and as we all know yeah exactly as <laughs> oh, we, no, of course again sometimes our enthusiasm gets in the way of our accuracy yes anyway so first yeah. i want to talk about the holler sessions written by andrew lloyd weber <laughs> hi hi i'm on the podcast too no i'm sorry i'm just go 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 i still had to get that sorry. out of the way <laughs> i'm liz and i'm fuck yeah great plays Cool. And I'm Lindsay, the founder of Max Moo. So we're here to talk about the many shows we have already seen just in one week at the January Theater Festivals. This is a lot of shows for a week. Yeah. I'm really impressed with everybody. So let's get started. The Art of Love. Liz. Art of Love. Give me a second. Let me open my book. Because Art of Love didn't give a program. Uh, So I apologize in advance. So... Art of Love is part one. Elliot is based on the Elliot Rogers story. He um, stormed the uh, USC campus and shot a bunch of women because he deserved them and they didn't give him attention. So the Royal Osiris karaoke ensemble has done this piece focusing on, I feel like a lot of it focused on YouTube and found video and that sort of work because it intercut the Elliot Roger videos with a lot of YouTube haul videos. I was kind of thrilled to see that on stage and dating advice and sort of, um, what do they call it? The game where it's like pickup artist kind of pickup artist. That's yeah. what I was yeah. looking for. Um, those sorts of videos and it was all built into a, vaguely asian ritual they were wearing what looked like kimonos and with the the singing bowl and all that uh so bringing that all together to talk about to talk about love but i also felt this maybe it's because of all the youtube videos and youtube video recording is such a solitary act 
all these people in their isolation reaching out and with an imaginary audience, even if there is no audience. Uh, yeah, I, it wasn't what I was expecting, but I did like what they were doing. I was interested and I kind of wish it had been a little longer. I wish we'd explored more. Um, I wanted, once they introduced the trope, I, when we were talking about, and you talked about, uh, if it was karaoke or not. Mm -hmm. So the actors have earpieces in and they are voiceover dubbing the YouTube videos as we see them, which I do think is karaoke. Yes. Because, yeah, we were talking if that was, if it was going to yeah. be karaoke. Spiritually karaoke. Yeah, spiritually yeah karaoke. it is. It's, it's definitely spiritual. So, that trope was great. I wish they'd expanded on that a little more. It was interesting to watch, and they did a great job with it, and it, it's cool to see that sort of disembodied voice and turning it into a ritual, a ritual and a recitation. But the, um, the vocabulary they were using of movement and uh, design and stylistic choices sort of stayed at one level through the entire production and i wish that it had evolved somehow uh during the course of the show i want to see part two i guess if they're doing it i mean if they named this one part one they must be doing it part two right jack they have like 22 parts don't they oh i don't know yeah there's like i think this is meant to be like a series well oh, like cool. in- well then then maybe it evolves and changes and and speaks back to each other in the next episodes of it. Um, that's what I got. Anybody else? Someone jump in. I mean, I really struggled with it. I thought, like, tone-wise, because you have these kind of comical um, YouTube videos, these sort of, like, pick-up, uh, like, really, like, self-help videos, essentially, um, that are a little out of date, a little... I mean, everyone's outfits and stuff. I mean, like, they're clearly sort of dated material, but also it's just sort of a little ridiculous and then you intercut Elliot Rogers in the midst of it. And it's like, oh, isn't he ridiculous? And then it's like, but they never sort of speak to the fact that it's Elliot Rogers and they never actually sort of address him within the piece. So like the point of view becomes a little blurry and like he's bi- he was biracial and part Malaysian and I wasn't sure if all of the sort of like Asian accoutrement was supposed to be sort of speaking to something about you know him and his identity and I, I don't think it is if that's what their sort no, of shtick is it, yeah. all the time um but then so I was sort of left with all these like little strands that I was like didn't really kind of add up for me so like the format didn't quite match the the sort of investigation for me yeah Lindsay how did you react to it well the videos um are like you mentioned in this vein of um, how to how to get a girl, how to pick up a girl, mm-hmm. how to y- become a better version of what is some kind of idealized man in apparently our culture. And I was watching the videos thinking, oh man, we are so fucked. If this <laughs> is the way that people think men should be behaving in the way to better themselves to make themselves more appealing to women. I was just so demoralized by that representation of masculinity. So but that, while that's I a did huge not culture. Get, oh, I get it. Yeah. 
I don't know that I'd ever really invest. I've never investigated that culture. It's not something that I've ever spent a lot of time looking into or has really ever affected me because were someone to behave in the way that the individuals in the videos were suggesting, that would be shut down and I would be moving away from it immediately. So it was kind of, for me, it was a window into something that I knew was out there and existed in the world, but had never really been confronted with. And I found it extremely disturbing. So I assume that was part of their intent. And um, in that respect, I thought it was quite a successful piece. Um, I did not understand, as Nicole mentioned, the connection between what was being demonstrated on screen and what the individuals in the performance were doing, but that didn't leave me too questioning because the overwhelming feeling I had was just that it was a successful window into a world that I found highly disturbing. It just it came across as like this weird fake meditation video, like it sort of set up this like everyone close your eyes and think about it, and and which you know sort of like okay, so we're we're now into this kind of like self self help world, and then we go into the sort of toxic masculinity sort of question. But like I don't know, I just I, there was something in the sort of lack of point of view for me. Like I feel like it's a really interesting question, and I love the sort of like premise, mm. but I feel like it needs a lot more work. Mm. Yeah. Anything else to add on that one? Nope. Okay. The Holler Sessions at COIL. Yeah. Um, so I previewed this last week, so I'll talk about it. Um, the Holler Sessions, um, as I mentioned last week, is written and performed by an artist named Frank Boyd, who you may have seen uh, around town performing with companies like Young Gene Lee's Theater Company, um, with uh, the Elevator Repair Service, and with the team who is sort of a, a co-collaborator with this project. Um, Rachel Chavkin of the team is one of the – she's listed as a consulting director. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is basically a solo ish show that's all i'll say um in which frank boyd plays a kansas city dj in a jazz radio station um and it's essentially one long monologue where uh frank as the character is playing jazz records commenting on them sort of professing his intense obsession and love for jazz in general um particular artists um and maybe some of the things that jazz has lost since its heyday and um perhaps uh his frustration with how uh jazz legends these amazing genius artists are treated in contemporary american culture um you know i i really really enjoyed this piece uh the thing i love the, the first and kind of only thing thing to say for me is that Frank Boyd is just such a charismatic, enjoyable performer. Um, there is some audience interaction. It is very light, and I won't give away what it is, but there is some very playful audience interaction um, that... And some moments that also, to that end, feel like they're slightly improvised. I wouldn't be surprised if they were 100% scripted, but they feel improvised. That I just found so delightful. It's the funniest thing I've seen in the festival, uh, in any festival uh uh, so far this season, which is saying something, I feel like comedy gets kind of a short shrift during festival season a lot. So it was great to see something that I was legitimately laughing at. Um, and also, Frank Boyd is such a thoughtful writer about jazz. One of the things that I was struck by was the how simple, clear, synced, apt his writing was in describing how he feels about jazz and jazz legacy. 
in comparison with some of the artists that he was showcasing by playing their music who were very complex and very hard to wrap the head around. I sort of like that simplicity, complexity juxtaposition um, that Frank was playing with. Um, the only thing I, I would say that like, I, I wish I had more of was I kind of wish I knew more about the DJ character. I feel like there were moments when you started to learn a little bit about this DJ character and why he loved jazz and why it came into his life and why it matters so much to him. But they just never really jumped off and the other thing is that like for those of you who are like legitimate jazz freaks this is a very jazz 101 show um it does not tackle anything really that deep about jazz like for example the artists he talks about are charlie parker max roach miles davis louis armstrong like that's the, the nina li- simone yeah and a little bit of nina simone and like these are literally like the most famous names you know <laughs> yeah. and, like like everyone at this table even if you're not a jazz fan you own albums by these people mm-hmm. um so you know so i i think that uh, so there's that just know that going in um but there's also a really great surprise at the end that i thought was just delightful um and very apropos so yeah i really enjoyed the holiday sessions what did you guys think i, I just think he is so infectious mm. Yeah. That it's very easy to get sucked into this world. I, there's really nothing better than sitting down and listening to someone talk about something they're really excited and passionate yes, about. So and this true. is an entire show of that. Where even if you don't know anything about jazz, you don't really care about it, and you're just there, I, I don't know why else you would be there. But it, it's very easy to connect with him because he's so excited and it's such a genuine performance. It's hard not to get caught up in his excitement yes. with this. Exactly. So to your point, Liz, I don't know why you would be there if you didn't like jazz. Well, sometimes you go because you hear people on a podcast talk about it and they sound like they're Fair really enough. excited. Yeah. <laughs> and so you find yourself there. So I, um, when I heard you two talk about this last week, I had two reactions. The first was, no, oh, I'm not really into jazz, but you guys are excited. So I guess I'll give it a try. And the second was like, oh, I'm into learning about something that's new and I'd be interested in going and hearing a black man talk about jazz. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Frank Boyd is white. Yeah. Talk about it. Spoilers. (laughs) So then I was like, oh, no, I don't want to go see some kind of like appropriative. I'm a white man who loves jazz. Bullshitty nonsense. Here's my privileged take on. I know everything about this masturbatory. I'm an expert in this subject. But to Liz's point, that's not what this show is this is not what this show is at all agreed it's not appropriative it is appreciative yes this man loves jazz and he wants to share his enthusiasm with you and that is super fun and exciting and i will say he's also not an expert like pretty markedly that i think is key importantly yes and he does not position himself as an expert and he does i will say address the race issue not directly but indirectly with a story about some students and i was really really glad that he did that because it didn't you know it wasn't a sledgehammer i'm gonna hammer this race issue but it did raise the issue which i think is really important that this is a history and a legacy in our country made predominantly by African-Americans. And so for a white man to do a one-man show about it, like you have to raise that issue. And I thought he did it very well. Yeah. This Mm -hmm. show is super fun. And just as you mentioned, Jack, like you rarely get shows at these festivals that are funny and fun. Yeah. And that's what the show was. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Cool. 
You Nicole see it? No, I didn't oh, see it. you should though. Yeah, well, I, I hate jazz. So the like, <laughs> it's never going to be on my radar. But now, the yeah. only thing I'll, I'll add to that, and, and just to kind of hammer home what you guys are saying, is I, I think one of the things that's key to this piece of success is the sense of Frank Boyd sort of looking at jazz like through glass. You can just his face and hands are pressed up to the glass, yeah. and he and, and Max Roach and Charlie Parker are on the other side, and he just he wants to understand so badly, but he understands his own just sort of like his privilege and perspective limitations in addition to his l- musical limitations. This is like the Maximum podcast for jazz, you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciation, yeah. enthusiasm, yeah. but like, we're, we're not experts. Yeah, we have a be. kindred spirit. That's, that must be why we liked him so much. <laughs> like, I, I would listen Frank to Boyd, Frank come, do a podcast. Come, come I would oh, absolutely listen to Boyd do a podcast. I couldn't agree more. Could not do agree Frank. more. All right. I, oh, can I add one more thing? Oh, yes, I just want to say, um, I also really loved that the show gave us the space to listen to some of these yes, pieces. I'm so glad you're raising this. Um, because it's one thing to listen to someone talk about how much they love a piece of music, but then to have it in the background and then to just give these pauses, sometimes with the, with a blackout, so that you can just sit there and listen with all of everything, everything that he's just said ringing you know, in the back of your mind to have the space to sit and appreciate it is so Those lovely. Those moments were so key. Yeah. He dims the lights. He does a blackout. You just listened to the music. It reminded me so much of the recent experience at Armory with Marina Abramovich Goldberg that I just I thought it was such an effective way to balance the mania of his performance with the beauty of the music. Mm -hmm. And also inadvertently turned me into an obnoxious audience member because it got me to there's a moment in the show I won't spoil because I want you guys to see it. where he descri- he's about to play something, and he describes it as the best piece of music he's ever heard. And in my head, I went, I hope he's talking about the same thing that I'm thinking of, which I think is the greatest piece of music I've ever heard. And it was. Oh, <laughs> and I went, Aww. and I, out loud I went, yes! <laughs> <laughs> I was, like, vindicated. It was amazing. Oh, so and, and then And then he played it, and I literally sank as low as I could in my chair and just listened to what I and apparently Frank also thinks is the greatest piece yeah. of music I've ever heard. Oh my god, that's so cool. That's so nice. All right, moving on. The Institute of Memory. Okay, so the Institute of Memory is at Under the Radar, and this is a piece by LA artist Lars Jan. Um, he wrote, directed, and did the stage design for it, but um, with and created with Early Morning Opera, which I guess is a performance collective out there, I think. Um, and it is kind of a biographical portrait of Lars Jan's father, which could sound like a terrible idea, but he sort of approaches it in a very sort of non-linear fashion and really kind of just digs into the idea of sort of the detritus of a person's life and how you reconstruct a person who you don't really know. So his father was a Polish political prisoner um, during World War I, uh, World War II with the Nazis. Um, he escaped. He came to America and possibly was a spy. Um but sort of Lars Jan has always had this very sort of tense and difficult relationship with, with this very controlling, very paranoid man in his life. And um, so it is sort of about a son trying to sort of figure out a father, but also sort of realizing like where some of that paranoia may have come from and how much of it was sort of earned and not just, oh, my dad's a jerk. 
Um, I mean, I think as you know, a show about sort of difficult parents, it's mm-hmm. it's definitely up there with like one of the most difficult parents you're ever like, Gypsy ain't got nothing on Lars Jans' dad. You know? <laughs> well said. <laughs> um, and so it stars um, two performers, uh, one little known artist, Andrew Schneider, who I don't I'm sorry, know. say that name again. Yeah, Andrew Schneider. Okay. Um, and Sonny Valicenti. And so they sort of trade off roles playing Lars and his father, playing Lars's mother, like all of this. And they sort of pass off and sort of acknowledge who they're playing sort of in those moments. Um, they play his Polish relatives um, in recorded phone calls, sort of all pulled from the Institute of National Memory from Warsaw. So, you know, you, you realize the sort of um, layers and layers to which he's reconstructing his father's life are all coming from these essentially sort of government institutions um, having either been recorded by um, secret police or, you know, hospital records and other things that he sort of put together and from his father's later life. So, I mean, I think, and Andrew Schneider, uh, I must mention, did some of the sort of creative design work where he has sort of a typewriter that is connected to sort of sound and um, of course lighting cues. Of course. So, like, I mean, you can't look at this show and not be like, oh, Andrew Schneider's fingers are all over this. Yeah. Um, at least, you know, in some of the design um, elements, which I think make it, you know, again, sort of take it from what could be sort of a very sort of like, oh, a biography about somebody's dad to something a little bit more sort of visually dynamic. Uh, I think it goes on a little too long, perhaps also like this review. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> maybe could do with a little trimming. But um, but yeah, I thought it was actually like a really interesting way into a difficult story. Mm-hmm. It's worth saying that Andrew Schneider is like the Tony Stark of the American theater. Like he is like the, the framework, the light framework is the only yeah. thing I'll say. It's very similar to what we saw last year in yeah. You Are yeah. Nowhere, You Are Now Here. And I'm just like, dude, you just... And like the whole typewriter thing, I'm like, you're just a wizard. I don't understand mm-hmm. you. In addition mm-hmm. to being a very compelling and marvelous performer. Uh, yeah. Very funny. Very he funny. He gets to be very funny in this. Yeah. Did you follow your plot summary? Did you follow that through the show? Or is that something you sort of uh, learned via outside of the show reading i'm just curious (laughs) i i did follow it but i i don't know maybe i do like the more puzzle shows like it is definitely it is it is told in a non-linear fashion so you have to sort of shift back and forth in time with the characters which i think Lindsay may have found slightly more opaque than i did yeah i struggled to follow exactly what we were talking about at several points but still enjoyed the show performance is great tech awesome the typewriter is neato (laughs) Yeah. Have you seen this list? I did not see it. Yeah. No. I really liked it. I thought the, the two performers had wonderful interplay. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, I, yeah, I also like Labyrinthine sort of, you know, jumping back and forth in timeline and place. And, like, I liked for the first two seconds of each vignette or scene not knowing where I was yet. And then in the third second going, oh, okay, got it. You know, that was fun. And I think it also sort of mimics the kind of idea of reconstructed memory. And, you know, you're sort of like pulling, you're like, well, I heard this story from my dad and I heard this, you know, like, and it's, I don't know, I'm also at that point in my life too, where you're sort of like trying to reconstruct pieces of your family's past, which are sort of complicated and difficult and they didn't necessarily share all of the other pieces. And so you are kind of like filling in blanks and looking at these gaps and trying to understand how we get from, you know, this young, interesting intellectual man to this old grumpy miserable paranoid guy in a basement yeah excellent 
All right. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to introduce Song, which we saw collectively on the first night of the festival. That was all of us together. Not that planned. was the cutest thing. Yeah. <laughs> that was so fun. I yeah. hope we can do more of that. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and of course, um, we didn't need their help making it a cuddle party, but we got it. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. Okay. So Song is by Ranters Theater. Now, last week we mentioned a show by Ranters Theater called Intimacy. That show is coming up in the festival, right. but they brought two productions, and this is the first one. It's called Song. Um, it's by, as I mentioned, Ranters Theater from Australia. The concept is by Adriano Cortese and Laura Lima. So I'm just going to read the sentence that is their own description of this show I'd because I this. think it is the best way to introduce the concept, which is Song is an installation, important word, that takes the idea of performance, removes the stage, important, and transform the space. Uh, oh, did this get cut off? And transform the space into an atmospheric listening room filled with songs, smells, sounds from nature, and colors of the day's end. I think that's really a very good description of what we saw. Yeah. yeah. So let's take it piece by piece. <laughs> let's Number break this down. All right. Yeah. Sounds from nature. So there are no seats. You're sitting on the floor. There are speakers all around the room. Yeah. And it is indeed sounds from nature. It is birds. It is insects. It is Wonderful frogs. directional sound design. Yeah. Right. Fantastic. Ocean, forest, crickets. Water. Tree frogs, also crickets. People walking Steps. around. Yes. Freak my shit out. <laughs> there was a dude walking around in the forest. <laughs> on pebbles or something. And he was right behind me. And then two <laughs> seconds later, he was to my left. And it was this is like a sound coming from the floor. Ladies and gentlemen, this is it was. Ugh. Yeah, the, the directional speaker work they did was amazing. It was I was really, afraid. really good. I was afraid. I feel like Andrew Schneider should see song just for that. We Indeed. get really excited. Indeed. Okay, colors of the day. There's a circular orb shaped thing at the front. It changes colors from bright yellow to deep red to a bluish white. Mm -hmm. um, fairly nice to look at. Simple. Sun to moon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Then there are smells. Now, really, <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> raise your hand if you heard, smelled the smells. Me, just one person. Richard, yes, uh, one smell. One smell. <laughs> smell singular. I, I smelled one smell, which, which was flowers. <laughs> okay, so I, and actually, I want to, I want to, because I didn't know that there were smells in the show. We didn't know there were smells, right? Um, so I sat and I was between Nicole and Jack. And I started smelling something. I was like, it's very floral. It was very nice. It was just very strong. So I like, leaned over and casually sniffed Nicole. <laughs> and I leaned over and I casually sniffed Jack. And it wasn't either of them. And I didn't think it was the man in front of me. So I was like, oh, they must be doing some smell work. That's cool. And then I never smelled anything again. And then we all texted about it, and no one believes me. But I did. No, smell we it. believe you. We yeah. just Nicole didn't doesn't believe share me. I don't the believe experience because I have a very, very, very like incredibly sensitive nose, yeah. like to the point of like I made my brother unplug all of the air fresheners in his house when I went to visit recently because <laughs> it's too much. Like it actually really causes me to have headaches. So like I'm very, very smell sensitive. So the fact that like I didn't smell anything, I feel like is someone's failure. Maybe I was like under the vent or something. Yeah. I Maybe our pillows blocked things. Yeah. It wasn't like a bad thing. It was just like I wanted – it was like I spent the whole day in like a beautiful cottage kind of thing. And then when I left, someone was like, oh, yeah, and you had the ice cream in the freezer. I'm like, there was ice cream there the whole time? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want ice cream. Like that's the way I felt about the smells. And I don't think the smells were actually going to be that – I think there are two smells. If I've read other reviews that sort of mention them, like – 
I don't think it was like 27 different smells over the course of the... A smellscape? Right. A smellscape. Yeah, no oh, smell vision. That'd be a lot. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and the final element was songs that were sung live, but you don't necessarily know this during the show because I didn't know that. you cannot see the performers. Mm-hmm. Although I I thought they were performed live, just, just the way the songs were like performed. Oh, and see, my one just like the way the space was set up. There yeah, was it a, just yeah. didn't sound like a recording to me. It seemed live. Oh, I assumed um, it was a recording. Whoa. Um, but query what those songs had to do with anything. Like, I just did not find them to be really a match for the environment or the performance as a whole. It just yeah. sort of seemed to come from nowhere. Folksy. It was Yeah, it was sort of like being at a concert that you're really enjoying and then they play like the the cut off the album that you didn't really like and you're like eh, I guess I'll just go get a drink and yeah. I'll come back mm-hmm. like they pulled me out of it which yep. was mm-hmm. such an odd to have this I, I don't know how to call it like a the soundscape and then to put something very realistic in the middle of it pulled me out of the whole thing yeah. and I couldn't tell you a single I think one of the songs was like I have a boat and a rope that's all I could remember um, what else do you need so but then I was like a paddle but then I was like a boat and a rope so yeah. where are we so then it made me think too much about right, like, right. it was very concrete like yeah, the lyrics were yes, a little too and grounded I kept trying once the song started I kept trying to impose a narrative on the whole thing and mm-hmm. then I was yeah. just lost yeah. yeah and it was anti-directional it was like it was sort of coming out of a central speaker and you had all of this incredibly specific design and like you were like i'm in a place i'm in this specific place and then it's like who are these folk singers and where did they come from yeah, yeah. were they just on the moped I heard? like yeah. i don't know yeah were they, <laughs> they were all on the moped <laughs> yeah were they all on the moped were those the footsteps i heard <laughs> if so please announce yourselves <laughs> By saying, don't, don't, it's just us. Don't worry about it. I was so scared. I can't tell you how frightened I was. And you hear a faint sound check in the background. Oh, God. It just made me upset. An announcement. The performers are here. Yeah. Light applause from the crickets. Yeah. But yeah, I oh, feel song. like this piece would have worked better as an inst- a true installation mm. than a performance well this was a really good question which is as we were standing outside together before we went in i think nicole was reading that description and jack was saying no 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 i don't want to know anything anything. and i was kind of like well i'm neither here nor there but once in the performance i was so glad you had read that description because i initially i was just sitting there waiting for the performance to start as were two ladies sitting in the middle chit-chatting away not realizing like nope the show has begun ladies so you should (laughs) shut up um and i sat there waiting and then i at some point realized like nicole said this was a sound installation and indeed it's a sound installation here's the thing so just relax and just enjoy what's happening around you don't keep waiting for the initiative the the initiation of the performance Mm -hmm. and i think what's hard though is also like in the festival space and the fact that it was like a really packed audience that night like some of the other reviews i'd read of it touring around australia was it was in bigger spaces where people could come and go and i think like most installation work like if this is in the park avenue armory like it would be a whole different yeah i actually i I watched the video trailer on their website and you can see it in a space it was probably six times what we were in and I can see that being a little more effective. They also had folding chairs at that one. Um, so you could Back sit. support. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd I, I like to lay down. And I, just did, I did like lay on the me. floor. I sat, I sat for maybe the first five, ten minutes, and then I was uncomfortable. So then I just laid down and popped my head up from time to time, see what the orb was doing. Yeah. 
and then laid. Just a little checking with the orb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, because we're just checking, and you're like, "Tell me if something happens." <laughs> yes. Yeah, and then I lay down. I was like, "Yeah." You let me know if like like the mummer dancers come out and like start doing something. That would have been dope, by the way. I would have loved that if all of a sudden the mummers came out. As long as they announced themselves first. Yeah, exactly. I don't know because the orb was like it reminded me of the Olafur Eliasson weather project. I don't yeah. know if anyone ever saw that. Yeah. The tape. Yes. But like the tiny version, <laughs> like the pocket travel size version of that. That's the size they could fit and on not the, the plane. Bag way. Right, right. Plane, it was yeah. just sort of like just but like but that also was a place where you could sit on the floor and lie down and sort of experience this like grand installation. And yeah, I mean, I I love the fact though that Coil does include installation work absolutely in the programming. Mm-hmm. Okay, next. Disco Tropic, Nicole. So this is a dance piece uh, directed and choreographed by Niv Acosta. And it starts with the um, concept of Diane Carroll from the Star Wars Holiday Special, uh, (laughs) where she plays an alien hologram, sort of erotic fantasy of a Wookiee. So that is your starting point, folks. <laughs> and so what Nivacosta does is then sort of take that idea of black female bodies in space and, and extrapolates a dance piece sort of looking at um, bodies, looking at race, looking at gender um, through the concept of sort of Afrofuturism, which is sort of this sci-fi um, sort of black concept of sci-fi from like the 70s um which i don't know very much about so my apologies for my lack of notes on that um but there is an entire you know there are comic books and uh music musicians who were sort of engaged in this kind of futuristic exploration and it just to me sounds like it sort of parallels the like david bowie era of like out there kinds of yeah you know like it's all coming from that kind of place um so looking at that um Niv has staged a series of sort of dance movements, um, some dealing with uh, uh, dancers and in sort of individual kind of like cubicles, as I called them. Um, And then they all sort of congregate on kind of a more runway space um, within this like large basement area where the audience is constantly sort of moving around and following the action a little sleep no more-esque like oh do we run over here oh do we stand here i don't know Uh, (laughs) that was half the fun for me (laughs) i just sat on the floor i'll be honest are all the tall people just gonna be in my way the entire time okay yes that is what's gonna happen here no i I walked in i was like i know here one of the few talents i have in life is that in those immersive situations where the show can be happening all around you i know exactly where to stand to have the best view at all times oh good for that Survey is the an room. amazing wow. time. And I had it there. I was like, I was there for like five minutes in Disco Tropic. I was like, right there. And I did. And I had a perfect view of everything the whole time. Nice. I have the opposite <laughs> time. <laughs> yeah. I know the exact worst place to stand at all times. That's why I love taking people to hear Lies Love Ones with the public because it, it, the scene would shift and people would start walking the other way. I'd be like, no, 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 no. Stay here. <laughs> Trust me. Stay here. Yeah. Um, so, so I really loved this piece. I thought that the, I thought that the piece really did an interesting job of kind of looking at the individual within the group. Uh, I think with dance, like sometimes you see a lot of, you know, obviously synchronous movement all together. And I thought the way Nivacosta sort of moved the dancers around the space and through the space gave giving each of them sort of their own little solo moments that each get kind of like a, a number like one of the performers does come out and perform diane carroll's 
terrible oh my monologue. While well, like crawling on the floor, and where I was sitting, she was at eye level with me, and so yeah. she started talking to me and crawling towards me, and I got so nervous. It's yeah. really because it's it's this it's very so creepy, creepy. Once intense, you just, like once you, you pull know, it away, from... I can feel my creation, and you're just like oh, like this is like Wookie virtual reality sex porn. Like it's just very very oh. strange. Um, but I thought like the nice thing was is each dancer kind of got their own moment within the show. But then also in the group numbers, there would be like these kind of like asynchronous beats that one dancer would sort of just break out and have this, um, you know, sort of flash of sort of personal expression. And so I think, you know, in terms of sort of looking at gender and looking at race and looking at conformity and nonconformity and sort of feeling the outsider, like I thought all of the the chore- the choreography worked within that um, intellectual construct. And mm. so for me, as somebody who like comes to dance with a like, I don't know what I'm doing, um, and like a little <laughs> scary to talk about dance, this show for me was like, oh, oh, I can put all of these things in these intellectual baskets in ways that are really, really satisfying. And also yeah. I'm enjoying watching these dancers who all have these very different bodies. I'm enjoying watching some of the humor of it. Um, and, and you know, the, I mean, there's absolute, like, dead seriousness at times, but also some lightness, too. So, and I think the chanting that was staged nearer to the end was one of the, again, one of these moments of sort of understanding the sort of individual voice within the group and, um, and, and a real sort of anguished cry about... Um, about not being seen. Mm-hmm. And that was so incredibly powerful. So I don't know. This this piece just really kind of hit me. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought it started very strong. By the end, I was not. I, I, I thought it sort of decreased after about the midpoint. Um, it was long. It was a little long. And I know they were working in a lot of improvised moments. You could tell because I could watch the other actors watching each other. But because of that, there was um, a hesitancy in a lot of numbers where they're like, are we going to end this now? Are we going to keep going? And, and the hesitancy made me anxious. I can't deal with that. Yeah. Sort of. I, I wanted them to continue being as strong and individual as they started off. And once it, once the moments weren't clear, it, it got a little muddy for me with the chanting where they like weren't, hundred percent sure where they were going to stop and 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 it, i mean that's purely technical because i loved what they were bringing to it and i enjoyed where everything started but it just felt a little um stretched out it didn't it didn't <laughs> feel yeah it just didn't feel tight yet and yeah, i don't know no, if the opening is so incredibly tight so that everything yeah. that comes after that does feel slightly looser yeah, yeah. yeah so interestingly you two liz and nicole saw this together and then jack and i saw this together right and mm-hmm. i think the performance we saw was slightly different than the performance you saw because what you're talking about liz i did not sense me neither and also in a later conversation nicole and i had which i promise didn't spoil any of the brilliant conversation you're hearing right now um <laughs> mm-hmm. nicole described the ending and i was like I do not recall that being the ending. So why don't you describe that? Oh. And I want Jack to tell me if he thinks that was the ending we saw. And you yeah, tell look. me if this is the ending I actually saw. Like, okay. Okay. I'm like, did I hallucinate this? Because I thought the sort of final sequence was actually the least effective one for me, mm-hmm. where each of the dancers were sort of like echoing off of each other, and somebody would sort of make a sound or a noise or vocalize something, and everybody else would kind of repeat that. That was the cunty thing, right? Correct. Where everybody just started shouting cunty. Yeah. Cunty. And... Yeah, that was that happened. It did. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> oh my god. Well, this it, is the it, thing. It was like they were shouting "cunty" and they were shouting "yes." Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. Work. Yeah. Cunty. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they, I mean. It was it was queer, black queer slang. I guess for lack of a better term. 
Yeah, I yeah, and I and it was the only piece that I was like, I can't quite fit this into the, all the other boxes that I've been sort of like, you know, sort of organizing the piece into. Mm. And that was the part that I was kind of like, and eh, I could have done without that one. You could have cut that one for me. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it, but that piece felt very improvised so i wonder if it was just the mm. version of it that you guys saw didn't i don't know didn't well, no, feature the word wasn't, wasn't as cunty wasn't as cunty as our version i was so moved by this piece i actually blocked out at the end so yeah there you go <laughs> whoa that's what is happened. It just because they moved you up the stairs and then you couldn't remember anything after that <laughs> they let Going me stay forward, on the stairs did you get I... hit by that glow cloud that came around <laughs> no. that was pretty cool i did like that glow cloud um I, and the and the glow hat actually. I oh yeah, the glow hat. The, was the glow pretty hat. Great. Yeah, the ending was was for me was um it, it the thing I will, only thing I'll say about it is that it just felt like a new idea, and they were presenting it right at the end of the piece. So <laughs> in that way, it was just felt like I I thought like oh we have another half hour because this is a brand new movement in the symphony of this piece. Yeah, and so it was like and then it just ended. It was like. Oh, oh! You guys were just getting started with that. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I but yeah. other than that, I I really liked it. And Nicole, I really want to underline something that you said because I am not a dance person. I don't go to see a lot of dance. It's one of the reasons I love these festivals is because it lets you um, see art forms that perhaps you don't normally go to. And the thing that I get very self conscious about when I do go to dance is like this sense of like oh. Uh, novice, you don't understand what these movements are. Well, there's the door, and you know we'll just be over here knowing with our secret <laughs> yeah. language, and we'll we'll do our yeah, dance, yeah. and you can. I'll just go. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll go back to the musical theater. I guess you know. Um, but this was I felt so um, like I was on a level playing field with the creators, with the artists, yeah. and that meant the world to me. That I felt like as a dance novice, like I, I totally understand what you're saying. Like I understood. Uh, I maybe not didn't understand every moment, but I did understand in general what the piece was about and what each movement was trying to do intellectually. And I also just kind of enjoyed it viscerally, yeah, yeah. which is very rare. I've had other dance experiences in this festival season already where I felt like I was a complete dummy because I didn't get – I was on the same level they were vibing on. Yeah. But thank you, Nivacosta, for making me really feel like I could be a part of this. Yeah, um, it, that it was, was That meant the world to me. It's very accessible, and I feel like their intentions from moment to moment, even if they moved away from that, were very clear. I, f- I felt like it was pretty easy to follow. Yeah. Even if the piece, each movement didn't go in a way that I was expecting yeah. it to. I, at the beginning, I was like, oh, I know what they're trying to say here. I get this. Yeah. I was with them every step of the way. Totally. It, it felt like it, it, it's accessible, but like not designed for dummies. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and it was all, it was, there was so much interesting stuff happening. And, and I don't know that my interpretation of any of it is, quote, correct. Right. But I think that's actually the great thing about the piece is that a dance reviewer could look at it in a very specific way and talk about it in one way. And a novice could walk in and see me, you know, and see it in a very different way and, and still feel like, I don't know these reference points. Like, I don't know a lot of the sort of sci-fi reference points that Niv was using throughout the piece. But it was like, it, sort of, it didn't, ma- I didn't feel like, oh, gosh, now that... I'm seeing this. I don't understand. I'm confused. I'm, I'm pushed out of it. It was like, oh, this all feels organically part of the same thing. Yeah. Like you're pulling in language that I don't really know, but it's a foreign language that I'm enjoying hearing because it all sort of works together sort of beautifully. Totally. Yeah. Um, I just want to add one last thing. That was one of the coolest spaces I've ever been in in a festival. Yeah. What else? It's like the basement of Labyrinth. Have they done <laughs> anything else? I'd never been down there before. It's so cool. I just want to have a party down there. Yes. Yeah, it was so cool. I think Coyle is staging something else down there. Yeah. I hope so. Um, Go Forth, I think, is maybe uh, also well, really? in okay. that space. So cool. Yeah. Also, it smelled so nice down there. Do like flowers? Else? Not like flowers. No. <laughs> 
But like, like pl- they had like so you're plants. You're just having and- a coil stroke. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's because they didn't get me chairs. <laughs> Nobody Ever. smelled. It, there was like lots of plants and soil around, and yeah. it felt very like earthy. Earthy. We just heard a website that's like you know how they have that website that's like should I bring an umbrella or not kind of should thing. I bring and it's a either chair? yes or no. Should, should, uh, are there chairs at this yeah. festival show? <laughs> I know after the first two shows that had no chairs, I was very nervous for holler sessions, but thanks for having chairs, holler yeah. sessions. <laughs> I know I've been trying to, I'm writing an overall piece about the festivals as sort of a critic's notebook and I have to sort of like, you know, look at the trends and I'm like, so far the trends are not a lot of chairs, mostly pillows. No. Yeah. <laughs> I will say there were chairs at Discotropic. They were just up along the oh. back wall. I saw I them um, when we walked in. Well, because yeah. it was another show where you sort of walk in and it's already begun. Yeah. And so I felt like such a scramble at the beginning where I was like, oh, are the tall people going to move out of the way so I can look into the little cubicle and see the one dancer? And no. they're like, nope, we're going to just stand here and block your view forever. I was like, I hate you people. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you could have actually seen anything sitting from the chairs that were. They were like along the back wall facing the center okay. stage. So yeah. I don't know. If you would have gotten but anything, but they, word of, they word, were there. Word of advice, if you go see this show, when you walk in, do not run to the cubicles. You'll know what I mean when you get there. There's a screen. Get a good view of the yeah. screen, mm-hmm. and everything else will take care of itself. I promise. For sure. Nicole mentioned one trend, I think, that is indeed quite a trend at this festival season. No chairs. Any other trends we've seen? Smells, I guess. <laughs> um... <laughs> Just for Liz. <laughs> Just me sniffing I, stuff. I, I have one that's a little esoteric. Can I share? Please. I just it actually came up during this conversation. I was like, can I say something about this? It's the way we talked about both Discotropic and The Art of Love Part 1, the Rosaris uh, karaoke show. Um, there is a, a theme that actually is common in, in festivals every year. It's not specific to 2016, but the ritualization of a deconstruction of a human idea. And by which, if you want to, like, actually just put that in layman's terms, that's just theater. But uh, the idea of, like, taking masculinity, like the performance and, like, a, like a hyper-masculine, a culture that encourages men to be hyper-masculine and to be aggressive and to treat women as objects, that is deconstructed by the Royal Osiris Karaoke Ensemble in a very ritual, like, literally, <laughs> literally ritualistic way with bells and smells and you know uh the drinking of of wine simultaneously and gestures and things like that and i actually felt the same spirit in nivacosta's show Mm -hmm. there is this idea of the sort of the the black female body uh that is the starting point of this show that is actually broken down ritualist through ritualistic movement Mm -hmm. based in dance as opposed to video or something like that but like i felt the same the same vibe going on there. The same, actually, I felt the same way about another show under the radar that I saw last night in, as part of our incoming series, Sister Sylvester's show, um, which uh, only has two performances, but next weekend is the second and final. And that, too, was a ritualistic deconstruction of a piece of art. Um, so I, would, I, yeah. I would say song, the, the installation piece that we saw, was yeah. sort of ritualistic, watching the sunset yeah. and the moon come up with this music and an yeah. institute of memory too i yeah. mean you know again sort of taking uh, an idea and sort of breaking it apart into different pieces to yeah. sort of see you know see them individually which then suddenly makes the the overall effect yeah. of it sort of different and the key to all of these is that that 
ritualistic break that that ritualistic breakdown is not done through intellectual arguments, but it's done through physicalization and therefore ritualization, which is just like I'm saying a lot of isations, and I feel like this is <laughs> I'm making this sound way more highfalutin than it actually is. I just mean that like that's actually something that I think the, this type of theater is really good at is that you can feel an intellectual breakdown of a complex idea through the visceral experience of watching someone move or listening to a sound. That's a profound quality of theater and that's something that i think is celebrating these festivals and i've just noticed it a bunch this year yeah and i think you know depending on your kind of like experience as a theater goer or like want to experience like you don't have to sit there like you don't have to watch disco tropic and be like me and like oh that's that that movement is meaning this and like i'm trying to write a review so i'm looking at it Mm. with a very specific kind of intellectual eye and actually what i really love about going to theater is being able to do that and these shows sort of allow me that sort of digger to dig into things deeper than a way in which you know maybe a broadway musical is just sort of like going to sort of put things up there and make the storytelling you know sort of as clear as possible because that's also their priority yeah So, like, Mm -hmm. I enjoy the, like, okay, I like watching Institute of Memory being all sort of bits and pieces, Mm -hmm. and then I get to put things together where I hate Steven Spielberg for, like, pointing me too directly through his storytelling, which makes me crazy, because I'm like, just, I'm an adult, I can figure this out, stop stop holding my face in a particular direction. Not being able to follow the plot of something or put all the pieces together perfectly doesn't make me not enjoy a show. I still enjoy it a lot, actually, probably... More so than another person who might go and say, well, I couldn't figure out what they were doing, so I didn't like it. No, no, no. I enjoy the confusion, but I just know that if the artist is trying to communicate a particular thing, Mm -hmm. uh, a particular story or a particular message, and it's not clear that I might not have taken that away from the show. Um, But I still enjoyed the process and the deep thinking that were inspired by the attempt to put together the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the shows that we see during these festivals are more about the journey than the point Mm -hmm. it's about the it's about looking at the process and i think that's a lot of experimental theater performance art in general is not saying this is the story you want to tell it's like we want to explore these concepts in this format and if you go and try to put a linear structure on it sometimes it doesn't work because there is no linear structure because they're not that's not the point the point is the journey yeah Yeah. plunging you into the darkness a little bit and not knowing quite where to take your first steps which is why i think one of the most brilliant touches in uh one of the shows that we mentioned i'm not going to say which because i don't want to spoil it because i love that this is included in the show is a reference to what i think is the greatest opening scene and opening line of a play of all time which is hamlet and the opening line of that play is who's there and that whole sequence is like mm-hmm. the, the whole first like ten like or twenty lines of Hamlet. You have no idea what the fuck you are, or what's going <laughs> right, on. Right, yeah. And but it's so gorgeous. And one of these shows actually uses the the sense of uncertainty and where the hell are we and what is this moment of Hamlet to tell this larger, um, very experimental story, which I just thought was such a wonderful right, thing. Yeah. All right. So I have one more sort of broad question about the festivals to ask you guys which is if you had time to revisit just one show that you've seen so far what show would you pick i'm going back to holler sessions um Mm. a because it was just so much fun and b just because the audience the night that we saw it uh, lindsay saw it and it was a college it it had to be like a college theater acting class Mm. and so those interactive moments 
made me kind of roll my eyes a little because I could tell these were actors, student actors being, being actors. a little actory in the audience. Um, so I would just like to see it with a different audience. Mm. Um, the unfortunately, if you didn't see it um, by the time you listen to this, you'll have missed it. Uh, Germinal, uh, which was a, a French slash Belgian show that opened the Under the Radar Festival, was easily the best thing I've seen in the festival so far. Um, it was. It, it the only thing I'll say is because I, I really do hope that it comes back. I'm sure it will uh, to the United States in some way, shape, or form. Um, inevitably, someday. Um, it is the entire history of human communication and the idea of human consciousness in 80 minutes, and it is clear as a bell. It is not like you know bullshit hyper intellectual at all. It is incredibly accessible and funny, but and profound. Therefore, um, and I ate it up with a spoon and would love to see it again and take all of you with me. I've seen the bad version of that show before. The bad version? What do you mean? I mean, not like, not actually Germinal, but like seen another company do something conceptually like oh, almost okay. identical and do it so poorly yeah. that that's why I avoided seeing it. <laughs> like, like yeah. I've suffered through the bad version of this. Oh, life. it was so cool. And it was like, yeah, I just, I loved, I loved it to death. Do you have a I, show? I would see the Institute of Memory again, um, just because I think, A, we were sitting kind of far from the stage, which I was sort of annoyed about because the crowd rushed up there and we didn't get up there fast enough um and yeah i just think there's a lot going on in there that i'd like to unpack still mm. i'd see that again the show i would pick is disco tropic because unlike jack and his perfect positioning <laughs> i do perfect. feel like there were things i didn't get to experience because of an obscured view of the action and i just always think that this is, i don't know if calling this show as immersive is fair or not but you are amongst the performers in a way that you're not if you're sitting in a row of chairs and right. viewing a proscenium mm -hmm. i think that for a show that is like that my first time around i'm always a little on edge constantly checking where am i vis-a-vis -vis the performers am i in the way and now that i know what's going to happen i could go back and relax and absorb a lot more and definitely check out that ending that I missed. So I would be very, very interested in seeing that show again. Yeah, totally. Okay, what do we have coming up that we're very excited about? Now, I know we all have a lot coming up. So let's just pick, you know, a thing here or there that we're most excited about. Calendar's out, team. Oh, I'm seeing Skeleton Crew at Atlantic Theater, which I am super excited about. This is the Dominique Morisot show mm -hmm. yeah. that I saw the reading of at the Lark uh, two years ago. I am super excited to see that show, and we will be talking about it later this month once Festival Madness is over. Well, we're going to see Right on the Irish Cream, which I'm yes. really excited about. I'm looking forward to Yesterday Tomorrow, which is at Coil. Yes, that's the other one I want to go see. I don't have which tickets for it really yet. I've heard really great stuff about this artist and um, the sort of it's the intersection of the song Yesterday and the song Tomorrow. Yeah. So they deconstructed through an algorithm yeah. to sort of meet they up start, somewhere in the middle. They cool. start with Yesterday and they break it all down and then they put it back together and it becomes Tomorrow from Annie. I don't know how the fuck you do that. I but know. Can't wait. It sounds amazing. Um, we have, uh, at, under the radar, we have some heavy hitters coming. Um, we mentioned, uh, Dark Matter last week, um, but also Guillermo Calderon, who has been at the public a number of times, um, has a show called Escuela coming up next weekend, um, at the Under the Radar Festival, and also the badass blues artist Martha Redbone is going to be, um, at Joe's Pub as part of the Under the Radar Festival with, uh, her, um, sort of, uh, autobiographical show, Bone Hill. Um, but, unfestival-related, there's, um, Ars Nova is doing 
doing this really cool series of first looks at a bunch of musicals um, that is coming out of a musical theater writing group uh, that they've been uh, that have been kind of tinkering away at new work for the past year and this uh, next week is a big week of presentations. I'm seeing a couple of them, um, like a new piece by Michael McQuilkin. Um, I know that uh, the playwrights, Akeen Salawu, um, Martina Mayoke, some of these great uh, uh, playwrights are writing books of musicals that are having their first um, having their first light uh, of day um, at uh, at Ars Nova this week. So yeah, Max Vernon is doing a show and Max there, Vernon, and they yeah. have a great little video that I highly recommend watching. It's very funny about their show. Yeah, if you don't know about Max Vernon, like he's this oh is God, he one to watch for enough, sure. Yeah. And Ma Yi is doing a reading series this coming week as well yeah. um, with a bunch of their writers. So. Who's starting it off again? I'm trying to remember. I know Don's got a reading in there. You had to ask me a question. Oh, yes. <laughs> answer to. I know Don Yen's got a, a, a show coming up. I love Don to death. Um, hi, Don. Yeah, it feels so pedestrian compared to everything else that we're talking about, but I'm going back to Fun Home. <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my, my friend just finished reading reading it, so I have to take her. Oh, I want to hear about the not Sydney Lucas. The, the new little kid, yeah. Let me tell you, because I've seen Gabby. Oh, okay. Uh, Gabby, of course, like like a week after she got the gig, went to the White House and performed Ring of Keys. Like, mm. no pressure at all, you know, new little Allison. Um, I have such an abiding love for Sydney. I've seen her do that role probably literally 15 times wow. um, in various iterations of Fun Home. Gabby nails it. It's a different energy. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. She's fantastic. They did a great job finding um, the next little Allison. Yeah, it'll be really interesting because Sidney Lucas really grew up in that role. Yeah. Um, I'll be interested to see someone someone else take it on. <laughs> it's also really great to see someone small again in that part. Because <laughs> yeah. Sydney like, literally shot up three feet. That's true. Over the course of two years. And you like you show up and she st- comes up on stage. You're like, oh, you're, oh, right. This is supposed to be a little girl. <laughs> right, you're trying to cast Emily Skate Fowler or something. It just yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, right. It's like, is this college, Allison? No. Beth <laughs> <laughs> Malone's just wearing, like, platform shoes. <laughs> just, point, everybody yeah. had to just, just put them all in heels. <laughs> it's yeah, fine. Right. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so go Gabby. Get it. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Max Moo Podcast. You can find us all on Twitter. Max Moo is at Max Moo. Nicole is at Mildly Bitter. Jack is at Jack in Brooklyn. Liz is at Miss Liz Richards, and I'm at Lindsay Behrens. See you next week.